War of the Wells by H.G. Wells Chapter 17 The Thunder Child Had the Martians aimed only at destruction, they might on Monday have annihilated the entire population of London as it spread itself slowly through the home counties, not only along the road through Bonnet, but also through Edgware and Wilkham Abbey, along the roads eastward to South End, Shubriness, and south of the Thames to Deal and Broadstead, poured the same frantic route. One could have hung a June morning in a balloon, a blazing blue above London, every northward and eastward road running out to the triangled maze of streets the scene stippled black, the streaming fig fugitives, each dot a human agony, a terror and physical distress. I set forth at length in the last chapter of my brother's account of the road through Chipping Barton, in order that my readers may realise how the giant swarming the black dots appeared in one those concerned. Never for the history of the world such a mass of human beings moved and suffered together. There were hosts of Goths and Huns, the hugest army Asia had ever seen, would have been but a drop in that current. This was no disciplined march, it was a stampede, stampede gigantic and terrible, without order, without gong. Six million people unarmed and provisionized, driving headlong, is the beginning of the rout of civilization, massacre mankind. Directly below the blueness, we have seen a network of streets far and wide, houses, churches, squares, crescents, gardens, already derelict, spread out like a huge map, the southward blotted. A wailing rich men Wimbledon, it would have seemed as if some monstrous pen had flung ink upon the chart. Suddenly, increasingly, each black splash grew and spread, shouting out, "Remarkations this way, and that now banking itself against rising ground, now pouring swiftly over crescent to new found valley, exactly as the grout of ink would spread itself on blotting paper. Beyond are the blue hills that rise southward of the river, the glittering marshes went to and fro calmly, methodically, spreading their poison cloud. Of his patch of country, and then over that laying it again with his stream jets, when it just had served its purpose, taking possession of conquered country. Conquered country, country, country. They do not. They do not seem to have aimed at extermination so much complete demoralization, destruction of any opposition. They exploded any stores of power they came upon, cut every telegraph and wrecked the railways. Here and there, they were hamstringing mankind. It seemed in no hurry to extend the field. The operations did not become beyond the central part of London all that day. Is it possible? A very considerable number of people in London stuck to their houses through Monday morning. Certain is that many died at home suffocated by the black smoke. To about midday, the poor London was an astonishing stream. Steamboats and shipping of all sorts lay there, tempered with enormous sums of money offered by fugitives. It is said that many who swam out these vessels were thrust off 
the boat hooks and drowned. About one o'clock in the afternoon, feeling remnant of a cloud, the black vapour appeared between the arches black fire bridge and that at Paul became a scene of mad confusion, fighting collision. For some time a multitude of boats and barges jammed in the northern arch of Tower Bridge. The sailors, lightermen, had to fight savagely against people who swarmed upon them from the riverfront. People were actually clambering down the piers of the bridge from above. An hour later the Martian appeared below, beyond the tower clock, clock tower, way down the river, nothing but wreckage floated above the limehouse. The falling of the fifth cylinder, I proceeded to tell, the sixth star fell at Wimbledon, I remember keeping watch beside a woman in Chassay, Meadows saw the green flash, for it far beyond the hills, a Tuesday little party, still set upon getting across the sea, made way through the swarming country. Towards Colchester, the news that masters were now in possession of whole London was confirmed. The scene Highgate, even he said at Neverstein, but he did not come till my brother's view until the morrow. That day, the scattered multitudes began to realise there was a need for provisions. As they grew hungry, the rights of the property ceased to be regarded. Farmers were out to defend their cattle sheds, granaries, and ripening root crops. With arms in their hands, some people like now, like my brother, their faces eastward. There are some desperate souls even going back towards London to get food. They were chiefly people from the northern suburbs, whose knowledge of black smoke came by hearsay. He heard that half of members of government had scattered at Birmingham. Enormous quantities of high explosives were prepared to use automated mines across the Midland counties. He was also told the Midland Railway Company, a place of desertions amid the first day panic, and resumed traffic, and was running northward trains from St Albans to relieve the congestion of the Helm counties. The service placard in Chipping Onga, and that's in large store of flour, available in northern towns, and within 24 hours bread would be distributed among the starving people neighbourhood. The desertions did not deter him. The plan escaped his phone. They pressed eastward all day and heard no more of the bread distribution than his promise. Nor, as a matter of fact, did anyone else hear more of it. And night fell the seventh star, falling upon Primsdale Hill. Fell where Miss Everson was watching, for she was took duty alternately for her brother. She saw it. On Wednesday, the three figures. They had passed the night in the field of unripe wheat, reached Chelford, and there were a body of inhabitants calling itself a committee of public supply. Seized the penny's provisions, would give nothing in exchange for it, but a promise of its share for a share in the next day of it next day. Here there were rumours of marshes epping, and news of destruction of Wilburn Abbey, Padder Hills, in vain attempt to blow up one of the Vedas. People watching for marshes, lucky. For Martins here from Towers, however, very luckily for him, the chance preferred to push on at once to the coast rather than wait for food, although all three of them were very hungry. Every day they passed through Tillingdon, which, strange enough, seemed to be quite silent, deserted, some, save for a few furtive plunderers, hunting for food. The attendant, he suddenly came in sight of sea, most amazing kind of shipping, all sorts that is. 
possible to imagine. But after the sailors could no longer come up the Thames, they came up, up to the six coasts of Hailwich, Walton and Clapton, and east afterwards to Foulness and Shrewsbury, to bring off the people. They lay in a honeysuckle-shaped curve that's vanished to mist the last towards the knees, close inshore with a multitude of fishing for snacks. English, Scotch, French, Dutch and Swedish steam launches from the Thames, yachts, electric boats, grandly ships of larger burden and multitude of filthy collars, trim merchantmen, cattle ship passenger boats, petroleum tanks, ocean tramps, and old white transport near white, near, even white, near white, neat white with grey land liners from Southampton, Hamburg. Along the blue coast across the black water, by a brother could make out dimly a dense scent swarm of boats chaffering from people on the beach had swarm, which they extended up the black water about to Moulton, almost to Moulton. After a couple of miles out lay an ironclad, very low in the water, almost my brother's perception, like a waterlogged ship. This is the ram, Thunderchild. It's only warship in sight, but far away in the right over the smooth surface of the sea. The day here, there was a third calm. There is suddenly black smoke to mark the next ironclads of the Channel Fleet, which hovered in an extended line, steam up at a woody fraction, across the Thames Estuary, during the course of Martian conquest, vigilant and yet powerless to vent it. The sight of the sea itself a stone, in spite of assurances for her sister-in-law, gave way to panic. She had never been out of England before. She rather died and trust herself friendless to a foreign country. So forth, she seemed poor woman to imagine that the French and the Martians might prove very similar. She had been growing increasingly hysterical, fearful, distressed during the two days of earnings. Her great idea was to return to Stanmore. Things had always been well and safe at Stanmore. They'd find, they'd find George at Stanmore. It's all the greatest difficulty they could get her down to the beach. But presently, her boat succeeded in attracting attention of some men on a paddle steamer. In the terms, they sent a boat and drove a bargain for £36 of the free. The was going, these men said to Alston. About two o'clock, when my brother had paid their fares at gangway, he found himself safely aboard a steamboat with his charges. His food aboard, the better to exorbitant prices. Three of them could be afraid to eat a meal on one of the seats forward. There were already a couple of score passengers aboard, some of whom had steadied their last money securing the passage, but kept to lay off that water until five in the afternoon, picking up passengers until the seated decks were even, danger- were even dangerously crowded. He would probably have remained longer, had not been for the sound of guns with Gan, Aaron, and South. As if in answer to the great clan, Seaward fired a small gun and hoisted a string of flags. A jet of smoke sprung out of her funnels. Passengers and passengers were opinion. This firing came from Shubaness. Two was noticed it was growing louder. At the same time, far away, the southeast, the mast and upper works of three ironclads rose, one after the other, out of the sea. Beneath clouds of black smoke, my brother's attention speedily reverted. Their distant firing in the south. Fancy he saw a column of smoke rising out of the rest of grey haze. The steamer was already flapping 
away eastward. The big crescent shipping near the low east coast, Essex coast, growing blue and hazy. Martian appeared small and faint in remote distance, advancing along the muddy coast for the direction of Farnes. The captain of the bridge swore at Toby's voice with fear and anger. His own delay the paddles seemed infected with terror, and his sailboard stood at the boltwoods. All the seats of the seamen stared at the distant shape, higher than the trees of church by the towers inland, advancing with legendary paranoid of a human stride. It's the first Martian my brother seen. He stood more afraid, amazed and terrified, watching his titan, advancing deliberately towards the shipping, wading further, further into the water as the coast fell away. Then far away beyond the crouch came another, straying another, some studied trees, and yet another, still further off, wading deeply through a shiny mudfit, and seeing the hang halfway up between the sky, sea and sky, they were all stalking seaward, so to set the escape of the motorous vessels that crowded between Farnes and these, despite the following insertions of engines, the old paddleboat, the pouring foam of her wheels flung right between, between, behind her, he seeded from terrifying slowness with his ominous advance. Glancing northward, westward, I ever saw the large crescent shipping, almost waving with approaching terror, the ship passed behind another, Another coming round from bullside at the even end on. Ships, steamships whistling, came again off. Burners of steam, sails being cut, let out, launches rushing hither and thither. He was so fascinated by this, by creeping danger away to the left that he had no eyes for anything seaward. Then the swift movement of the sea, steamboat, she had suddenly come round to avoid being run down. Climbing headlong for the seat upon which he was standing, there was a shouting all about him, a trampling feet, a cheer that seemed to be answered faintly. The steamboat lurched and rolled him over upon his hands. As he sprang to his feet, he saw to starboard, but not a hundred yards from the there, leading, healing, pitching boat, a vast iron bolt like the splayed of ploughs tearing through the water, tossing it on either side of huge waves of foam, leaped towards the seamen, flinging her paddles, hope especially in the air and stacking, stacking the deck down almost uh, to the waterline. Dusha spray blinded my brother for a moment, then his eyes were clear again, as he saw a monster pass and rushing landward, big iron upwards, rose out of his headlong structure, from that tin funnels projected, splattered blasting, smoking blast shot, with fire is the Peter ram, thunder child, steaming headlong, coming to rescue for the threatening the fretting shipping, keeping his footing on the heavy heaving deck. By clutching the boat with my brother looked to get past this charging the Fenian, Fenian and the Martians again. He saw the three of them now close together, standing so far out to sea, the tripod supports were almost entirely submerged. Thus stunken and again seen a remote perspective, it appeared less vulnerable than the huge iron bulk in those weight the steamer was pitching so helplessly. It would seem that regarding his new antagonist was with astonishment. To the intelligence, it may be the giant, or even much such other as themselves, that the thunder child, by the gun, but city drove full speed towards him. It's probably not, not her not firing that enabled her to get so near the enemy as he did. He did not know what to make of her. 
Rose shell, they would have sent her to the bottom for with heat ray. With steam in its pace, at such pace a minute, she seemed halfway between the speedboat and the Martians. The machine black bulk against receding horizontal spans of the Essex coast. Suddenly the foremost Martian lowered his tube, discharged a canister of black gas, and then entered. He hid her larboard side, glanced off in a janky jet, and rolled back row away to seaward, unfolded torrent black smoke, from which her cloud drove clear, to watch us from the steamer low in the water, with the sun in her eyes. It seemed as though she was still ready among the Martians. He saw gaunt figures separating, rising, and order they retreated shoreward, and one of them raised a camera-like generator of the heat ray. He held it pointing obliquely downward. A bank of steam sprang for the water as it touched. Its touch. It must have driven through the iron of the ship's side, white hot iron rod through paper. It must have driven through the iron of the ship's side like a white hot rod through paper. The flicker of flame went up through the rising steam. Then the Martian reeled and staggered. Now the moment he was cut down, great body water and steam shot high in the air. The guns of the thunderdrums standed through the reek, going on one after the other. One shot splashed, the other high, close by the steamer rocket ricocheted towards the other ships to the north and smashed to sm- a smack to merch wood. But no one heeded that very much at sight. The Martian collapsed the captain on the bridge, yelled inarticulately, lower the crowning passengers on the steamers. Stern showed it all together. Then they yelled again for surging out beyond the white tummet, drove something long and black, the flames steaming from his middle parts of ventilators, fannels, spanning fire. She was still alive. She was alive still. And in steering gear, it seems with intact the engine working. She headed straight for the second Martian. It was within a hundred yards of him when the heat rate came to fair. There was a slight violent thud, a blinding flash of decks for funnels, leap upward, the Martian staggered with violence of, sp- of explosion. In another moment, flame and wreckage still driving forward, the impetus of its pace had struck him and crumbled him up like a thing of cardboard. A rubber shattered involuntarily, a bumbling, burbling turret, a steam hid everything, hit everything again. Two, yelled the captain. Everybody was shouting. The whole steamer had an end in ring, bang with a frantic training ring, and was taken up first by one, then by all the crowding multitude of ships and boats as diving out to sea. The steam was hung upon the water for many minutes, hiding the third motion, the coast. Altogether, and all the time the boat was paddling steadily and sea away from the flight. When at last the confusion cleared, the banking draft of bank of black vapour intervened, and nothing of the thunder trail could be made of. Nor could the third motion be seen, being close to the southward, seaward, and now quite close to staying in, in towards shore past the steamboat. Little vessel continued to beat its way seaward, and then closed the sea slowly towards the coast, which was hidden to still by marble bank of vapour, part steam, part black gas, eddling, and combining in a strange way, as fleet of refugees flattering to the northwest, several smacks was 
flying between the ironclads and steamboats. At the time before they reached the sinking cloud bank, the turned northward and then abruptly went about and passed into the fecking haze and evening southward. The grass grew faint and the last seemed to single mid. The low banks of clouds that were gathering about the sinking sun. The sunning out the golden haze as sunset came in vibration of guns, foam black shadows moving. Everyone struggled to rail. The seamen peered into the blinding furnace of the waste, but nothing was to be distinguished clearly. A mass of smoke rose, slanting and barred face of the sun. Seamboat throbbed on its way through to a miserable Inimitable suspense. The sun sank into grey clouds. The sky flashed and darkened. The evening star trembled into sight. It was deep twilight when the captain cried out and pointed. Everyone strained his eyes. Something rushed up in the sky at the greyness. Rushed slightly upward and very swiftly into luminous clearness. By the clouds of the western sky, something flat and broad and very large swept around in a vast curve, grew smaller, grew sank slowly, and vanished again into the grey mystery of the night. As it flew, it rained down darkness upon the land.